Hebrews 12.14 reads, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hello and welcome back to Think This Way. My name is Pastor Bryce. I pastor here at Faith Bible Church and I have with me one of the other pastor elders of the church. It is the well-beloved Dan Gielock. Thank you for being here, Dan. Oh, it's a privilege and an honor to be here, Bryce. Thank you for inviting me. Today we are talking about a matter that is a little bit technical, which is why it's good to have Dan here. Um, We have been talking about personal holiness this quarter. We've had three episodes really on the what of personal holiness. So what is it? What is it not? How does it relate to positional holiness? Today we're talking about the fact that you, if you are a believer, you should be holy because you have to be holy. So... This will be, as I said, a little bit more technical, but Dan is going to make it simple for us. So I'm just going to start, before we jump into this, the fact that you, Christian, have to be holy. I want to start by doing a little refresher on the gospel by using the well-known gospel equation. So here is the gospel equation for those who appreciate mathematical formulae. Here it is. Faith in Christ which includes repentance as part of that coin, faith in Christ equals salvation, or maybe I should put justification there. It makes us right. We are made right with God or reckoned right with God through faith in Christ. So faith in Christ equals, we'll just say for simplicity, salvation. Not faith in Christ plus works equals salvation. So if you can imagine this in your mind's eye, most everyone in this world believes, if they are Christian in name, they believe that faith plus works equals salvation. That's called legalism. It's not true. Rather, faith equals salvation, and we can add this to the equation, plus works. So works, I said it would be technical. Don't blame me. I told you. I warned you. You could have turned this off. But faith equals salvation plus works, not faith plus works equals salvation. Faith equals salvation plus works. You have to have that equation in your mind to not misunderstand what we're talking about today. Because the verse I read at the beginning of this podcast was commanding you to strive for, and I quote, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This means that holiness, personal, practical holiness, works, good works. Holiness is necessary for the person who is saved. It's not optional. It's not take it or leave it. If you are a believer, if you will spend eternity in heaven, if that's you, you have to have holiness. Quote, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you don't have holiness, if you're not growing in personal holiness, you will not see the Lord. So we are talking about the necessity of works. But again, remember the equation. It is not a necessity of works unto salvation. It is not faith plus Necessary works equal salvation, but it is faith. If you have saving, living, real faith in Jesus Christ, it will equal, it will result in salvation 
plus works. And it has to produce those works for it to be a living and a real faith. Okay, that's my little spiel here. So Dan, I want to turn this over to you now because here's a question that arises from all of this. If personal holiness will necessarily result from faith in Christ, if it has to result, why does Hebrews 12, 14 present this to us as a command that we have to do? Why does it tell us strive for this holiness? Well, great question. I think that there are four short answers that illustrate exactly why. First, it is true that we only make progress because God has set all of his dear chosen children on the path of sanctification, conformity to Christ, to not only be willing, but also to be enabled to walk in obedience. Philippians 2.13, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And Psalm 110 verse 3, thy people shall be willing in the day of your power. In the beauty of holiness, from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of youth, to quote King James. Nice. Love King James. <laughs> Notice that God is enabling us to be willing, and it's appropriately identified with holiness, the beauty of holiness in that Psalm 110 verse. Holiness is being set apart from the world and set on a path of purity and purging from sin. And finally, the Ephesians 2.10 passage that we're all familiar with, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So that's part of the sovereign plan of God for all of his children. That's number one. Number two, it's important to note that the entire context of verse 14 that you quoted from Hebrews 12 is rich with commands. Verse 12, strengthen. Verse 13, make straight paths. Verse 14, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. And serving, striving, or pursuing, that, that's what the New American Standard Bible translates, is part of the litany of commands for God's people. So obviously, the Holy Spirit, through the inspired writer, lets us know throughout all of the scriptures that we have a responsibility, a duty, an opportunity to be actively, passionately, joyfully, and intimately involved with our Heavenly Father in this process. That, that's amazing that we are working together with the triune God. R.C. Sproul said it very well. He said this in his little message, No Shortcuts to Growth. He said, We're saved by grace alone and justified by faith alone. But having been saved, we don't just wait around to die. Christianity is about spiritual growth as well. And spiritual growth involves effort, the hard work of sanctification, we manifestly don't work for our regeneration or our justification. Both acts are monergistic, accomplished by God alone. That's what monergistic is. One source, one energy. Only the Holy Spirit can change our hearts. Only the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of the Son of God, secured by His perfect obedience to the Father, can secure our standing before God. Sanctification, however includes and requires our efforts. We say it is synergistic, both energies working together because both God and we are doing something. Yet, we aren't equal partners. 
God wills and works in us, as I said a few moments ago, according to his good pleasure, so that we progress in holiness. But as God works in us, we work as well, pursuing him in prayer, relying on the means of grace, the preach word and the sacraments, seeking to be reconciled to those we have offended. There's no shortcut for sanctification. It's a process and one that all too often seems overly plodding, with progress taking years to discern. Now, that's the first two. The third point would be this. I truly believe that God designed this process of sanctification and striving and pursuing holiness to be a witness to him, his glory, his power. I think it's illustrated when Paul mentors Timothy and encourages him to keep striving and pursuing. So, 1 Timothy 4.15, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress would be evident to all. And for what purpose? Just to glorify Timothy? No, to glorify God and show his power. I think the same thing happened with the Gadarene demoniac who was radically transformed. And in Mark 5, you find out that this man who was so radically changed, he obeyed Jesus and went back to that collection of 10 cities called the Decapolis, which became a hotbed of Christianity because they saw the power of God manifested in this man and thus gave him glory. And finally, number four, I would say that God tells us to pursue or strive for our comfort, our good, and our assurance. Peter says it so well. As you might expect, any writer of Scripture would say things well. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Second Peter 1, 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Matthew Henry, remarking on this, says, Those who are growing in grace and abounding in the work of the Lord shall have an abundant entrance into the joy of their Lord and they shall reign with him forever and ever. So, although gaining assurance is not the primary reason why we do good works, why we strive, why we pursue, we should not discount the assurance that comes as we live holy lives. As we seek to obey Christ's commands, we can be sure that he is working with us. So again, the four reasons. Number one, it's part of the ordination of God for his children. Number two, it is part of all of the way God has ordained for us to walk in uh, and growing in good works. And number three, uh, it's a glorification of God himself and honoring him. And finally, for our assurance, for our pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's the difference there between evidence of something already done and that, I like that Gittering demoniac example because I had not thought of it in that connection, but that's a great example. Because did the Gittering demoniac, when he was absolutely out of his mind, did he just decide one day, you know what? I got to work hard at this thing 
and get right with God, put on my clothes, stop being wild, cutting myself, doing whatever. He couldn't even have done that. No. Yeah. It was a work that Jesus did in him rather unilaterally, Mm -hmm. you know, and then he was clothed in his right mind. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, it's like there's a sense in which he couldn't help it. He had to go to the capitalists. He had to go share the gospel. He had to go. So there was a necessity. And Jesus often would say that with people he healed or forgave, go and sin no more. And those who truly were regenerated, that's exactly what they did. It was necessary. But as an evidence of something that was done in them, rather than as a way of striving for salvation. I want to say this now in a very hard way. And if you're listening, you might think, I thought that's what we were already doing. I want to say it in an even harder way. But uh, And then what we're going to do is Dan with his erudition, because that's a word that you would use, Dan, erudition. Dan with his erudition is going to take this very hard way of saying it and simplify it for us. But I just couldn't resist because this is something I think of often, this concept of how our growth and our striving relates to salvation in the end. And I was reading John Owen on the mortification of sin, and Owen knew he was hard to read. He didn't think many people would read him, actually, because he was so hard to read. But he wrote so much. He wrote we, we so can't read. <laughs> what was wasting his time? What was he doing? Oh, man. But we're glad that he did because here's a little gem. Now, you've got to dig for this gem, okay? And if it just makes no sense, don't worry. Like I said, Dan's going to explain it. But I want to read this because this captures what we're saying about as well as is humanly possible in the English language. So it's tough, but here it is. And I've replaced in this mortification, that word with holiness, very similar concepts. The book is on mortification. We're talking about growing in holiness. So here it is. Here it is. Now, the connection and coherence of things being manifold as of cause and effect, of way and means and the end, this between holiness and life is not of cause and effect properly and strictly. I'm resisting interpreting this because Dan's going to do it. But, okay, so this connection between holiness and life, holiness, ultimate salvation, is not of cause and effect properly and strictly for, quote, eternal life is the gift of God through Jesus Christ, but of means and end. God has appointed this means for the attaining of that end which he has freely promised. Now, this is the best part of all, but it's so hard, okay? Dan's going to explain it. Don't worry. But I'm telling you, it can't be better said than this. Means, though necessary, and that's exactly what we're saying here. You have to be holy. Means, though necessary, have a fair subordination to an end of free promise. (laughs) Owen, why do you say it so hard? But I'm telling you, it's good. You just got to think about it. Means, though necessary, have a fair subordination to an end of free promise. A gift and procuring cause in him to whom it is given are inconsistent. 
The intention then of this proposition, it's the passage he's talking about, but it relates to you have to be holy to be saved. The intention then of this proposition as conditional is that there is a certain infallible connection and coherence between true holiness and eternal life. If you use this means, growing in holiness, you shall obtain that end, eternal life. If you do grow in holiness, you shall live. All right. I love that paragraph, but wow, it's so hard to understand. Can you please simplify that for us, Dan? What is the connection here between our growth in holiness and our ultimate salvation? Well, I think one helpful way to think about this or to illustrate this could be described by this way, this manner. If you're truly a child of God, you've been given a gift of life, like a, like a newborn into a family. Then there will be a family resemblance, looking like, acting like your family, with an increasing similarity recognized by most. And there's also a delight in that. Oh, you're Joseph's boy. Oh, you're mom's Mary. I recognize that you're part of that family. There's a recognition there. That grounding in identity confirms that you're a family member. But if there is no likeness, no visible comparison, people will wonder whose child you are. They will ask, where did you come from? Where are you going? That's a truly sobering question to ask somebody who doesn't have the family resemblance. So it's imperative that a child of God act, live, grow, develop the characteristics of God's family, of our Heavenly Father, of our elder brother, Jesus Christ. It kind of goes back to the passage you quoted earlier, Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So will we walk in these good works? Will we show the family resemblance? Will we grow in holiness? Will we do it? If you're truly a believer, well, yeah, because you're his workmanship. You will do it. My, my, my grandson sounds like my son. He sounds like his father. There's just that coherence and connection that Owen is talking about. And when Owen says here, he's saying there's a connection between our growth and ultimate salvation, but it's not cause and effect. Meaning, if you grow, if you work hard, grow in holiness, that does not cause salvation. That would be salvation by works. But it is a relationship of means and end, meaning for us to get to the end that is ultimate salvation, the means that is necessary for getting there is growing in holiness, almost like a child has to resemble his parents and grandparents in this case. A child has to. It's just part of the nature of things. So there is a means and an end. Dan... Someone listening to this at this point may think, this is still rather confusing. 
And how does this apply to me today as I raise young children and go to work and do whatever? Why does it matter that someone listening to this even think through this somewhat complicated idea of the relationship between our growth in holiness and our ultimate salvation? The passage in Hebrews, and Hebrews is so rich with the promises of God, the revelation of our Heavenly Father's goodness in providing the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a compassionate high priest, and even the purposes of training, of discipline. That passage that you started off with, Bryce, gives us a very sobering reality that first, the absence of striving and pursuing means that we will not see the Lord. So, as we examine ourselves, as we be diligent to make our calling and election sure, that's something to remember. Number two, the absence of growth and progress for an individual who claims to be a child of God is a negative reflection and public humiliation of the person themselves, the church that houses such an individual, and the name and power of God robbing him of his deserved glory. It is a shame and detraction to the name, person, and work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Number three, it's very important to consider this because if someone is not concerned about growth and holiness, they will be robbed of the joy, comfort, and assurance that they are a child of God being raised in community and into conformity with Jesus Christ. Someone listening to this may not be taking holiness very seriously right now. It could be that they've heard of doctrine of carnal Christianity and just thought, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm a carnal Christian, so I'm not going to grow that much. Maybe later in my life I will. Or someone may have been very zealous about holiness and it's just cooled off and there don't seem to be immense consequences, so they've just thought, well, I guess striving after holiness is that not that important. Whatever the case may be, whatever you thought in the past, may God help us all now to think this way. Mm-hmm.